Chapter Twenty Eight of Tales of a Traveller by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Story of the Young Robber, Part Two. The night was magnificent. The moon rising above the horizon in a cloudless sky faintly lit up the grand features of the mountains while lights twinkling here and there like terrestrial stars in the wide dusky expanse of the landscape betrayed the lonely cabins of the shepherds exhausted by fatigue and by the many agitations i had experienced i prepared to sleep soothed by the hope of approaching deliverance the captain ordered his companions to collect some dry moss he arranged with his own hands a kind of mattress and pillow of it and gave me his ample mantle as a covering i could not but feel both surprised and gratified by such unexpected attentions on the part of this benevolent cutthroat for there is nothing more striking than to find the ordinary charities which are matters of course in common life flourishing by the side of such stern and sterile crime it is like finding the tender flowers and fresh herbage of the valley growing among the rocks and cinders of the volcano before i fell asleep i had some farther discourse with the captain who seemed to put great confidence in me he referred to our previous conversation of the morning told me he was weary of his hazardous profession that he had acquired sufficient property and was anxious to return to the world and lead a peaceful life in the bosom of his family he wished to know whether it was not in my power to procure him a passport for the united states of america i applauded his good intentions and promised to do everything in my power to promote its success we then parted for the night i stretched myself upon my couch of moss which after my fatigues felt like a bed of down and sheltered by the robber's mantle from all humidity i slept soundly without waking until the signal to arise it was nearly six o'clock and the day was just dawning as the place where we had passed the night was too much exposed we moved up into the thickness of the woods a fire was kindled while there was any flame the mantles were again extended round it but when nothing remained but glowing cinders they were lowered and the robbers seated themselves in a circle the scene before me reminded me of some of those described by homer there wanted only the victim on the coals and the sacred knife to cut off the succulent parts and distribute them around my companions might have rivalled the grim warriors of greece in place of the noble repasts however of achilles and agamemnon i beheld displayed on the grass the remains of the ham which had sustained so vigorous an attack on the preceding evening accompanied by the relics of the bread cheese and wine we had scarcely commenced our frugal breakfast when i heard again an imitation of the bleeding of sheep similar to what i had heard the day before the captain answered it in the same tone two men were soon after seen descending from the woody height where we had passed the preceding evening a nearer approach they proved to be the sentinel and the messenger the captain rose and went to meet them he made a signal for his comrades to join him they had a short conference and then returning to me with eagerness your ransom is paid said he you are free though i had anticipated deliverance 
i cannot tell you what a rush of delight these tidings gave me i cared not to finish my repast but prepared to depart the captain took me by the hand requested permission to write to me and begged me not to forget the passport i replied that i hoped to be of effectual service to him and that i relied on his honor to return the prince's note for five hundred dollars now that the cash was paid he regarded me for a moment with surprise then seeming to collect himself e gesto said he equilodio footnote it is just there it is adieu end of footnote he delivered me the note pressed my hand once more and we separated the laborers were permitted to follow me and we resumed with joy our road towards tusculum the artist ceased to speak the party continued for a few moments to pace the shore of teresina in silence the story they had heard had made a deep impression on them particularly on the fair venetian who had gradually regained her husband's arm at the part that related to the young girl of Frosinone, she had been violently affected sobs broke from her she clung close to her husband and as she looked up to him as if for protection the moonbeams shining on her beautifully fair countenance showed it paler than usual with terror while tears glittered in her fine dark eyes oh caro mio would she murmur shuddering at every atrocious circumstance of the story coraggio mia vita was the reply as the husband gently and fondly tapped the white hand that lay upon his arm the englishman alone preserved his usual phlegm and the fair venetian was piqued at it she had pardoned him a want of gallantry towards herself though a sin of omission seldom met within the gallant climate of italy but the quiet coolness which he maintained in matters which so much affected her and the slow credence which she had given to the stories which had filled her with alarm were quite vexatious santa maria said she to husband as they retired for the night what insensible beings these english are in the morning all was bustle at the inn at teresina the procaccio had departed at daybreak on its route towards rome but the englishman was yet to start and the departure of an english equipage is always enough to keep an inn in a bustle on this occasion there was more than usual stir for the englishman having much property about him and having been convinced of the real danger of the road had applied to the police and obtained by dint of liberal pay an escort of eight dragoons and twelve foot soldiers as far as fondy perhaps too there might have been a little ostentation at bottom from which with great delicacy be it spoken english travellers are not always exempt though to say the truth he had nothing of it in his manner he moved about taciturn and reserved as usual among the gaping crowd in his gingerbread-coloured travelling cap with his hands in his pockets he gave laconic orders to john as he packed away the thousand and one indispensable conveniences of the night double-loaded his pistols with great sang-froid and deposited them in the pockets of the carriage taking no notice of a pair of keen eyes gazing on him from among the herd of loitering idlers the fair venetia now came up with a request made in her dulcet tones that he would permit their carriage to proceed under protection of his escort the englishman who was busy loading another pair of pistols for his servant and held the ramrod between his teeth nodded assent as a matter of course but without lifting up his eyes the fair venetian was not accustomed to such indifference 
oh dio ejaculated she softly as she retired como sono freddy queste inglesi at length off they set in gallant style the eight dragoons prancing in front the twelve foot soldiers marching in rear and carriages moving slowly in the centre to enable the infantry to keep pace with them they had proceeded but a few hundred yards when it was discovered that some indispensable article had been left behind in fact the englishman's purse was missing and john was dispatched to the inn to search for it this occasioned a little delay and the carriage of the venetians drove slowly on john came back out of breath and out of humour the purse was not to be found his master was irritated he recollected the very place where it lay the cursed italian servant had pocketed it john was again sent back he returned once more without the purse but with the landlord and the whole household at his heels a thousand ejaculations and protestations accompanied by all sorts of grimaces and contortions no purse had been seen his excellenza must be mistaken no his excellenza was not mistaken the purse lay on the marble table under the mirror a green purse half full of gold and silver again a thousand grimaces and contortions and vows by san gennaro that no purse of the kind had been seen the englishman became furious the waiter had pocketed it the landlord was a knave the inn a den of thieves it was a country he had been cheated and plundered from one end of it to the other but he'd have satisfaction he'd drive right off to the police he was on the point of ordering the postilions to turn back when on rising he displaced the cushion of the carriage and the purse of money fell chinking to the floor all the blood in his body seemed to rush into his face ding the purse said he as he snatched it up he dashed a handful of money on the ground before the pale cringing waiter there be off cried he john order the postilions to drive on above half an hour had been exhausted in this altercation the venetian carriage had loitered along its passengers looking out from time to time and expecting the escort every moment to follow they had gradually turned an angle of the road that shut them out of sight the little army was again in motion and made a very picturesque appearance as it wound along at the bottom of the rocks the morning sunshine beaming upon the weapons of soldiery the englishman lolled back in his carriage vexed with himself at what had passed and consequently out of humour with all the world as this however is no uncommon case with gentlemen who travel for their pleasure it is hardly worthy of remark they had wound up from the coast among the hills and came to a part of the road that admitted of some prospect ahead i see nothing of the lady's carriage sir said john leaning over from the coach-box hang the lady's carriage said the englishman crustily don't plague me about the lady's carriage must i be continually pestered with strangers john said not another word for he understood his master's mood the road grew more wild and lonely they were slowly proceeding in a foot-pace up a hill the dragoons were some distance ahead and had just reached the summit of the hill when they uttered an exclamation or rather shout and galloped forward the englishman was aroused from his sulky reverie he stretched his head from the carriage which had attained the brow of the hill before him extended a long hollow defile commanded on one side by rugged precipitous heights covered with bushes and scanty forest trees at some distance he beheld the carriage of the venetians overturned 
a numerous gang of desperadoes were rifling it the young man and his servant were overpowered and partly stripped and a lady was in the hands of two of the ruffians the englishman seized his pistols sprang from his carriage and called upon john to follow him in the meantime as the dragoons came forward the robbers who were busy with the carriage quitted their spoil formed themselves in the middle of the road and taking deliberate aim fired one of the dragoons fell another was wounded and the whole were for a moment checked and thrown in confusion the robbers loaded again in an instant the dragoons had discharged their carbines but without apparent effect they received another volley which though none fell threw them again into confusion the robbers were loading a second time when they saw the foot soldiers at hand scampavia was the word they abandoned their prey and retreated up the rocks the soldiers after them they fought from cliff to cliff and bush to bush the robbers turning every now and then to fire upon their pursuers the soldiers scrambling after them and discharging their muskets whenever they could get a chance sometimes a soldier or a robber was shot down and came tumbling among the cliffs the dragoons kept firing from below whenever a robber came in sight the englishmen hastened to the scene of action and the balls discharged at the dragoons had whistled past him as he advanced one object however engrossed his attention it was the beautiful venetian lady in the hands of two of the robbers who during the confusion of the fight carried her shrieking up the mountains he saw her dress gleaming among the bushes and he sprang up the rocks to intercept the robbers as they bore off their prey the ruggedness of the steep and the entanglements of the bushes delayed and impeded him he lost sight of the lady but was still guided by her cries which grew fainter and fainter they were off to the left while the report of muskets showed that the battle was raging to the right at length he came upon what appeared to be a rugged footpath faintly worn in the gully of a rock and beheld the ruffians at some distance hurrying the lady up the defile one of them hearing his approach let go his prey advanced towards him and levelling the carbine which had been slung on his back fired the ball whizzed through the englishman's hat and carried with it some of his hair he returned the fire with one of his pistols and the robber fell the other brigand now dropped the lady and drawing a long pistol from his belt fired on his adversary with deliberate aim the ball passed between his left arm and his side slightly wounding the arm the englishman advanced and discharged his remaining pistol which wounded the robber but not severely the brigand drew a stiletto and rushed upon his adversary who eluded the blow receiving merely a slight wound and defending himself with his pistol which had a spring bayonet they closed with one another and a desperate struggle ensued the robber was a square-built thick-set man powerful muscular and active the englishman though of larger frame and greater strength was less active and less accustomed to athletic exercises and feats of hardihood but he showed himself practised and skilled in the art of defence they were on a craggy height and the englishman perceived that his antagonist was striving to press him to the edge a side glance showed him also the robber whom he had first wounded scrambling up to the assistance of his comrade stiletto in hand he had in fact attained the summit of the cliff and the englishman saw him within a few steps when he heard suddenly the report of a pistol and the ruffian fell the shot came from john who had arrived just in time to save his master the remaining robber exhausted by loss of blood and the violence of the contest 
showed signs of faltering his adversary pursued his advantage pressed on him and as his strength relaxed dashed him headlong from the precipice he looked after him and saw him lying motionless among the rocks below the englishman now sought the fair venetian he found her senseless on the ground with the servant's assistance he bore her down to the road where her husband was raving like one distracted the occasional discharge of firearms along the height showed that a retreating fight was still kept up by the robbers the carriage was righted the baggage was hastily replaced the venetian transported with joy and gratitude took his lovely and senseless burden in his hands and the party resumed their route towards fondy escorted by the dragoons leaving the foot-soldiers to ferret out the banditti while on the way john dressed his master's wounds which were found not to be serious before arriving at fondy the fair venetian had recovered from her swoon and was made conscious of her safety and of the mode of her deliverance her transports were unbounded and mingled with them were enthusiastic ejaculations of gratitude to her deliverer a thousand times did she reproach herself for having accused him of coldness and insensibility the moment she saw him she rushed into his arms and clasped him round the neck with all the vivacity of her nation never was man more embarrassed by the embraces of a fine woman my deliverer my angel exclaimed she tut tut said the englishman you are wounded shrieked the fair venetian as she saw the blood upon his clothes <laughs> pooh nothing at all oh dio exclaimed she clasping him again round the neck and sobbing on his bosom pooh exclaimed the englishman looking somewhat foolish this is all nonsense End of chapter twenty eight recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida